Good evening and welcome to the Tuesday evening podcast for Tuesday, March the 21st. The sun has come out, spring is here, my grass is growing, the trees are blooming. We are truly in spring here in Texas, but I see somewhere that it's uh, snowed a couple feet. So if you're in the snow, uh, my condolences. I hope that it uh, goes well. You don't have to uh, shovel too much of it. Just know that uh, down here in, uh, in in Texas, we are uh, we are experiencing summer-like conditions. In fact, oh, if you can hear that in the background, that's a cat. She's having her uh, her evening lamentations. Sometimes this happens. Anywho. Uh, here on the Tuesday evening podcast, actually recorded a, a bit earlier than that. I'm uh, drinking a bit of coffee, contemplating uh, the the weekend that I had. So uh, this is the first time, I guess, in two weeks. Well, let's see. This is the first time in a long time that over the last uh, two weekends I've actually uh, gotten out and done quite a bit of shooting. So uh, last week I was at uh, ATX Pre- Precision's. Uh, PRS class, which uh, hopefully going to finish the review up on that this week. Um, There's a really good class, really, you know, enjoyed it. Uh, Nothing really life-changing came out of the class. I, you know, I definitely learned some stuff. Uh, It was great to have somebody who knows a bit about rifle shooting sitting behind me to critique my form. You know, uh, the the instructor, Clayton, took a couple pictures of things that I was, uh, you know, that I was doing that could be easily addressed, and, uh, you know, also just got the opportunity to shoot quite a bit. Um, If nothing else, there's something to be said for just getting out and shooting for two days straight. Um, I think part of the value of that class is just honestly having that much range time. Um, And if, you know, you bring bring enough ammo and you got enough cool stuff to shoot at, you know, by God, I think the guy could probably charge a little bit less and just, you know, sit there and not have to do anything. Um you know, just, just to have access to the range. So, um, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. One of the biggest things that came out of it for me, and it's, it's really has nothing to do with, um, you know, rifle shooting, rifle form, whatever you want to call it, is, uh, management of, uh, log books, uh, about, you know, your particular rifle. And what I found was I was getting some pretty wild inconsistencies in, you know, what, like my Kestrel would show me, and then what was actually happening downrange. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I'd really only put together a rough zero of the rifle. Uh, the other part was, and by that I mean, you know, I had, I had shot it at 100 yards, but I hadn't really spent the time to kind of dial it in so it was just nailing, you know, point of impact at, you know, 100 yards. Um, I had done a little bit of chronograph work, but I had about five data points, so maybe not the most accurate velocity for it. Uh, throw a silencer in the mix, and my you know my point of impact is certainly shifted, and even my velocity um, has shifted quite a bit. So um, it was it was really just very interesting to to see how all of that came about downrange. Now, what I found was that um, you know I, I kept my logbooks from last week. This week, I went out and shot at, uh, you know, at, at the ranch range um, out, at, out at my parents' place, and while the distances didn't exactly line up, I was able to kind of rough in a, you know, an elevation windage correction 
based on what I was seeing out there, based on my logbooks, instead of just relying on what Clayton called buttonology. Um, so just, you know, looking at, looking at the Kestrel. Um, and it's really made me want to spend a lot more time <clears throat> doing, um, you know, putting together actual, you know, logbooks and, and dope for my particular rifle. Um, and, and to use that to either true my ballistic model within the Kestrel, um, or to just have, you know, good data to use at a match or when I'm hunting or, you know, whatever the case may be. So, um, that was a, you know, an interesting, cool thing. And the class was, you know, class was good, learned a lot. I thought the price was right. It was five fifty for two days, um, which is, you know, I think pretty cheap instruction, honestly. Um, you know, there's, there's some other precision rifle classes here in Texas that are many thousands of dollars for, you know, week-long class. So, you know, five fifty for, you know, for two days of class is a pretty good deal, especially at a private range, uh, you know, where we got to shoot in a lot of different challenging conditions. I thought that was a lot of fun. So, got that done. That was good. Um, you know, spent the week doing my day job, uh, cleaned up a little bit of little bit of brass, cleaned the rifles, you know, kind of tried to get my life back in order a little bit. And then uh, I actually headed out Thursday afternoon for the ranch and uh, met my my day job team out there on Friday, and I'd uh, you know, borrowed some pretty cool toys from the guys at Capital Armory, um, and and got the opportunity to shoot some machine guns, uh, which was a, a really good time. I actually had, I think, s let's see, six guys from my team out there, uh, seven including me, and uh, nobody there had ever shot a machine gun before. Uh, I don't think anybody there. I think one guy had shot. He shot with me before, so he shot with a silencer. Um, but that was really the extent of, you know, the the experience out there. Um, a, a couple people had shot guns before. One guy's a hunter, but uh, got to take him out. Got to shoot some machine guns. Uh, took out a, a full auto MPX. Took out a an M16 lower um, that I I spent most of its time with a 22 uh, rimfire upper on it, which is just as much fun as you can possibly imagine and uh, you know just just had a good time burning off rounds uh, downrange and you know the the team had a had a ton of fun those guys were just you know gaga over you know over the experience which is always cool um, I really I really like taking new shooters out and I like showing people a, a new experience that they you know they haven't had a chance to to, to see before they haven't had a chance to, to experience so uh, got to take those guys out that was super cool um, what was also cool was that none of them have ever shot uh, long range before I think the longest shot that anybody had ever taken in the group was about 150 yards so uh, walking back to my favorite little spot it's at 475 yards which is a, really a, a great distance for that sort of thing because uh, you can pick you know, an appropriately sized steel target. So I did all of my you know, kind of rough work with them as far as like, let's get you on, let's check our wind call, let's do all that on some big IPSC torsos. And, you know, honestly, with a good rifle and a pretty stable shooting position and, you know, good accurate dope, it's, um, it, it, it's pretty difficult to miss a full-size IPSC target. I mean, that's a big target. It's almost 18 inches wide. So once I got got the rifles dialed in and, you know, had a good wind hold, put them down behind the rifle, got them to hit a couple hits on, you know, the IPSC steel, 
shooting silencers on all the rifles, so everybody had their ear pro out uh, that was watching, which was cool. Um, looking through the spotting scopes, I'm calling their hits, um, you know, making sure that, you know, they're, they're, you know, definitely on. And then I've got a little plate rack of kind of progressively smaller plates. So there's like a 12 inch gong, um, like a 10 by 10 square, and then like a eight inch circle and a six inch circle. So, uh, let those guys kind of, you know, move to smaller and smaller targets and work on their, you know, on their wind holds. And I get it. I mean, they were they were beside themselves. Like one guy even said to me, he was like, you know, the machine gun thing is cool, but I've just like never actually shot a rifle this far. And I didn't, you know, I always thought it would take superhuman skills and like superhuman equipment. And, you know, one of the rifles that I took out was the Bergara HMR, uh, using the night force SHV F1, which is a that's a $1,200 scope, $1,250 scope and a thousand dollar rifle. So, you know, essentially a, a $2,300, $2,400 setup uh, if you include the scope mount and the bipod. So maybe, yeah, $2,400, $2,500, which is, is definitely a lot of money, but I think a lot of people think that you need to spend $7,000 to be able to hit something at a quarter mile. Uh, what would have been really cool is to have had those guys bring out their own, you know, hunting rifle or whatever and, you know, get, establish a good 100-yard zero, chrono it, uh, and then work with them on like hold offs and stuff, um, you know, in like a traditional duplex style reticle scope uh, to get them out to 475 and show them, you know, what what they're capable of, what their rifle's capable of. Uh, but man, everybody was just, you know, all smiles. Uh, they, you know, everybody got a hit in at uh, at 475. And, and in fact, one of the guys, uh, I've got a one of the action target dueling trees, which has six inch paddles. And, uh, he went six for six at 475 yards with that Bergara just hammering steel targets. And the smile on that guy's face, I mean, he was he was on cloud nine. And, and I think that, you know, I've kind of forgotten, well, trying to, I'd kind of forgotten how much fun it is to just go shoot stuff. You know, like, um, I think it's good, it's good for the soul to get out and expose new people to the joys of, of shooting. You know, I, I sometimes get so, and I, and I hope this applies to other people. Um, but I definitely don't want to feel like I'm the only one that feels this way, but I sometimes get so myopic and so laser focused on shooting at, 800 yards or hitting a four inch steel target at 500 yards or something like that, you know, making, making a truly difficult shot or, you know, trying to shoot a six inch target at 500 yards off of, you know, a barrier or off a tripod or something like that. And, you know, it's sometimes a little difficult to, it's sometimes a little easy, sorry, to, to lead yourself astray and to start to get so focused that you forget that there, there are vast swaths of people who have never even hit a steel target of any size at 400 yards. Um, and so to take people out and show them that experience is incredible. Um, even, even, you know, taking people out with, with a pistol, uh, which I did a couple weekends ago, and, and getting them to shrink their groups from, you know, basically the size of an ipsic torso at 
seven yards down to, you know, nailing a headshot. Um, that's cool. Like it's fun. And I think that there's, you know, the, the, the issue that, sh- that I've at least run into is, um, you get to a point where your shooting ability becomes good, right? Like B minus or, you know, B, whatever the case may be, you know, that you can get down with your rifle at 400 yards and you can hit the, you know, the, the vital zone of a whitetail deer in anything up to a 10 mile an hour crosswind. Um, you, you get to the point with your pistol that you can draw, you know, sub second and a quarter from concealment and you can put three hits on target at 10 yards. You know, you get to a point where you can do some stuff pretty well. Now, uh, can you draw from concealment in a second and a quarter and put three hits on a, you know, torso target at a hundred yards? Maybe not. Can you do it in sub second? Maybe not. But you're looking at really an incremental difference in, in ability at that point. And if you look at a new shooter who's maybe never shot at anything beyond a hundred yards, the act of simply hitting a target at 400 yards is such a huge leap in their their perceived ability that you know the the joy of it really just comes out everywhere um, and, and they're just really excited and you know I think if you ever find yourself getting getting to that myopic place getting to that level of maybe boredom I, I don't know what the the word is for it you know find somebody who's never gone shooting before and take them shooting and and see you know see how excited they are and you know, unless you're a soulless monster, you're going to be pretty excited too. I think you're going to have a really good time. And, you know, don't don't consider yourself to be an instructor because um, that's a whole subset of, of skills, you know, to be able to teach people well. But, you know, go out and let people pop off a couple rounds and work on some basics and coach them up a little bit. And, you know, it, it's just, it's a really good time. So, Getting to take my coworkers out, and, and you know, all my coworkers know that I do gun stuff, but I don't think that they've ever gotten to go shooting with me. And so uh, that was cool, just to kind of show them, you know, part of this really big hobby that I have. Um, you know, if I were uh, a competitive barbecue guy, or if I was a you know a, a craftsman of you know of fine woodworking gear, it'd be cool to show them that stuff too. So it was a really fun time. Uh, so that was all a Friday. A great time, really enjoyed it. Friday afternoon, uh, I had some friends of mine from college come out to the ranch, and we did more of the same. Uh, shot some machine guns, shot at long range, uh, you know, popped off some rounds in our pistols, and uh, camped out at the ranch, which was weird. You know, I've, I've been out there hundreds and thousands of times. You know, uh, uh, it was a, a major part of my you know, formative years growing up, and I never camped out there. Um, never, never once did I just set up camp and spend the night in a tent or a hammock out there. And so, I uh, went ahead and, and did it this weekend with a couple buddies, and you know, we uh, found a nice little spot down in a stand of oak trees. And uh, you know, we definitely glamped it. Uh, you know, we were eating you know steak and scallops one night, salmon the other night. Uh, having, you know, great breakfast, uh, Dutch oven biscuits and, uh, you know, eggs and bacon and, you know, everything else, you know, listening to a Bluetooth speaker in the evenings, um, 
I know it was, I mean, we were, we were definitely not roughing it by, by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, it was, it was, uh, restorative for the soul, I think, uh, just to, to hang out with some good buddies and, uh, you know, just be out under the stars, listening to the animals, uh, you know, listening to some good tunes with your buddies, kind of chatting about the world and catching up, uh, saw some great wildlife. We had a lot of, we had a couple of deer that came into our little camp while we were all sleeping and it, you know, they, they, I guess we were being quiet enough that when we were sleeping that, uh, they, they didn't realize that we were there and then we all woke up cause they were, you know, coughing and snorting and, and running the other direction. And then, uh, that was the first night, I guess the second night we were all hanging out by the fire, you know, sipping, sipping on a, an adult beverage or two. And we heard all this scurrying around and through the leaves, we thought it might be pigs or something. And we all got our flashlights out and two ringtail cats are uh, chasing each other around the little forest floor there. Just, I mean, like the way that two house cats might. And, you know, they came within probably 15, 20 feet of us and just couldn't, couldn't even care that we were there. Just, just hanging out and running around and being ringtail cats. So that was just a, man, it was a cool time. Heard some coyotes, heard some axis barking, heard a bunch of turkeys and, you know, woke up, woke up with the sun and went to sleep you know, when we felt like it, it was, it was just very, it was very therapeutic and it was, it was good for the soul. Uh, on top of all that, and just getting back to, you know, gun related things, uh, having a couple people around to help you test out some gear from, from a reliability standpoint is always really helpful. So, um, I've had the CZ 75 pistol on, on loan for a while and, um, picked up a, a dead air silencers ghost, uh, pistol silencer for the weekend and you know it's CZ's suppressor ready gun so I figured you know what better way to test reliability on it than to put it in the hands of a bunch of neophytes with a you know couple cases of ammo and you know shoot it till you know we either run out of ammo or breaks and got some really good failures out of it uh, around the probably 500 round mark and you know the gun is just absolutely crunchy and filthy um, you know I kept you know, I, after day one, we started to get some failures to uh, to go into battery, and you know, you just need a little tap on the back to get it to uh, to lock up. So I threw a little lube on it before day two, and uh, probably another 250 rounds into day two, uh, started to get some really great failures to uh, failures to load. I posted a couple pictures on Instagram of it. Uh, got one where it had forced a round down into the magazine and had, um, boy, it had done a number. You just, you know, go to our Instagram page, look at the photos. They'll be part of the review. Pretty, pretty interesting failure, uh, which, you know, I, I, I kind of waffle on how to, how to rate the reliability of a pistol that does something like that. Cause, uh, 500 rounds with a suppressor on the end is a, is a, a pretty brutal, a uh, pretty brutal test. You know, the gun's so hot you can barely touch it. Um, it's just pissing, you know, oil and grease out the sides. Silencer's so hot, can't set it on the truck. I mean, it's, you know, getting some serious, serious work thrown at it. And, you know, it, it finally, finally failed. And I think if a, a regular pistol had failed at 500 rounds and had failures that spectacular, it would be worth noting 
we would, you know, ding it a couple clicks, say it probably wasn't really ready for to, to be a carry gun. Uh, but you look at something that has a can on the end of it, and you're you're throwing so much more crap back in the action. You're you know you're really gumming it up. You're really, in my mind, almost doubling the you know kind of durability test. You say to yourself, well, you know, uh, it's a pretty crazy test to do, and it's really hard on the gun, and maybe it is fairly reliable. But then the kind of the counter argument to the counter argument is that you know CZ markets that as a suppressor ready pistol. And in my mind, suppressor ready doesn't just mean that it, it is capable of taking a silencer and working with it. Um, you know, it's got a threaded barrel and it's got tall sights. Okay, great. Those are things necessary for it to function the first shot, right? But suppressor ready also, to me, means can it function with a suppressor in much the same way it might without one? And you know, that may be the sort of thing where you loosen up some tolerances and, and, you know, the gun maybe has a degradation in accuracy a little bit because of it, but it also sees a big, you know, jump in reliability. So you can run it for 500 rounds without lube and it'll work fine. So I'm kind of going back and forth on that as, as part of my review. And I think ultimately I'm landing in that latter camp. I think that suppressor ready is great nomenclature. But if it only describes accessories, then it's not really suppressor ready. It's maybe suppressor optimized. Um, it's maybe suppressor compatible, but it's not necessarily suppressor ready. And I think that's you know maybe a, an argument of semantics, maybe otherwise. Um, the Dead Air Ghost did great on that gun, by the way. Uh, ran it wet, ran it dry. Uh, got to run it with wipes, which the ATF now says are you know illegal. And it, so, you know, that was, that was fun. Glad I, glad I got to do it with a wipe, uh, before, you know, they, they went the way of the dodo bird. Um, but it was, it was good. And then, you know, the other reliability tests and, uh, I actually just finished up my review, uh, this morning, uh, before I, I started recording the podcast is on the Rebel Silencers, uh, SOS Hunter, which is an aluminum silencer that costs $250, which is, uh, you know, a big deal for, for people. They say that silencers shouldn't cost much money at all. There's just, you know, tubes with baffles inside of them, and there's only, you know, $100 worth of materials or whatever. Um, and that $600 or $800 is just too much damn money for a silencer. So I found a cheap silencer, uh, $250, made of aluminum, uh, not rated for full auto fire, not rated for, you know, any sort of durability, what have you. Uh, but it's cheap, and that's what it's got going for it. So I uh, I take it out, I shot it. It uh, it didn't it didn't even make it really through. I shot twenty rounds through it and decided to suspend my test. And I decided to spend suspend my test because I figured it was just throwing good money after after bad uh, to to continue on with it. And and you should definitely read the review when it comes out. In fact, it might post uh, around the same time this podcast does, or maybe a little bit after read the review and, and, you know, let me know what you think. Cause I was really harsh on it. I, I, I've joked with Dan over the years that sometimes you, you know, you write, you, you, you test enough good gear that you start to think that maybe everything's good. And what you sometimes need is a little bit of cleansing fire. Um, and, and in that you're just, you got to review where something's so bad that you gotta just roast it. You gotta burn it. You gotta give it the Nick Leghorn treatment. You know, 
and, uh, and, and burn it to the ground. And that sort of thing is, is helpful. You know, it kind of hits the reset button. I think uh, the readers of T-Tag seem to like it. Our comment section always seems to, to really enjoy it when we, you know, we treat something like that and, and, and give it the, the thorough T-Tag review. So uh, look forward to that this week. Now, the one thing I didn't do was check the last podcast to see what all people had to say. And this is the one that was with Tom and Oregon, which was uh, really fun. I really enjoyed it. So actually I had the most comments on that one that, that I've ever had, 15 comments on uh, on a podcast, which I think further reinforces that I need to find more guests to get on the podcast. Um, looked like a pretty decent number of views on it, not nearly as many as we've had in the past. Uh, one of the big questions was about, and you know, Tom and I mostly talked about reloading, uh, was about reloading for uh, 458 SOCOM. And luckily, uh, John Wayne Taylor is a, a prolific reloader and prolific 458 SOCOM shooter. Uh, so he had put together uh, a little bit of a reloading guide here in the comments section. Uh, you know, so it might be, you know, might be fun for you guys to, to read. Um, let's see, what else was on here? These are all 458 SOCOM things. And then questions about hog hunts. Uh, so Mark M asks, I'm stationed near you in Fort St. Houston. I'm looking to do a hog hunt. Can you recommend an outfit in the area that can point me in the right direction? I've shot plenty of deer, but not hogs. I have my own firearms, night vision, but I'm not set up to do meat processing either. Small apartment kitchen. I figured if anyone, you'd know where to look. Um, honestly, you're going to run into a lot of the, the, the same issues that our, our readers have lamented over the years, and that's that most places are going to charge you a, a, a pretty decent amount of money to, um, you know, to go hunt a pig. Uh, you should probably expect two hundred and fifty dollars a head as as kind of a baseline. Uh, a lot of places will do like a you know a per gun fee or a per hunter fee or something like that, and then uh, you know maybe fifty bucks a head or or something like that for pigs. There's a couple of night vision uh, operations uh, around the state. Um, Vision Pig Hunting, Texas. Um, I'll just Google that for you real quick. I'm sure you've already done this. You know, find a couple of places. Um, you know, there's, yeah, the whole first page of a Google search result is night vision pig hunts. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll find somebody that'll take you out. Um, and let you go, you know, hunt on their place. Um, you know, that's that's probably the easiest way to do it. A lot of them are set up to, you know, loan you gear or whatever, so maybe they'll cut you a discount. Uh, honestly, go out with one of those guys. Be a little bit, um, I think, be a little bit skeptical about going out and hunting with them. Maybe ask for some references or, or something like that. Um, you know, the problem with going out with a guided hunt service is, you know, they're 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 hit or miss. You might have. You know, a guy who's really dedicated his life to it. You might have a guy who's doing it as a little side hustle, and he's unsafe with guns. And he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's not going to put you on pigs, and he's going to, you know, take your money. So, um, most quality outfitters and guides will have, you know, references available upon request. So, find one of these places, call them up, say, hey, I want to come hunting with you guys, but I'm going to have to travel, you know, a ways, uh, bring my own gear, don't want to waste my money and my time. Uh, do you have a couple references you could point me to? I'd like to, you know, chat with some people that have gone hunting with you before. And if they don't, 
stay away from them. You know, uh, that's pre good, pretty good rule of thumb is that if, if they're not willing to, you know, put you in touch with some people who've gone with them before, um, you know, they might be a second rate operation. Now that's not to say that, you know, you might go with one of those guys and have a great time and have a good hunt. Um, but I would say if, if you're looking to, you know, have a, have a great hunt guaranteed, Find a place that's willing to get you some references. Talk to the people that have been with them before. Find out what it's like, and you know, go go from there. So that's my advice to you. Uh, Google a couple places, call them up, see if they've got references. If they do, call the references and see you know what the hunt was like. If they're not willing to give you references, put them you know put them on the B list. Maybe come back to them if you can't find any places that have any references. Maybe maybe you just you know kind of go luck of the draw, but unfortunately I don't know of any places up near Fort Sam that uh, you know that can take you hunting. But hopefully somebody listens to this podcast, listens to your question, and can tell you. And uh, on that note, creeping right up on the thirty minute mark, trying to to keep these things short, and and it looks like today I was able to do it. So uh, thanks for listening to the Tuesday evening podcast. As always, get out there, take some new people shooting, you know, uh, rekindle that you know, that excitement in, in, in your own life. Um, and, and, you know, introduce, introduce the, you know, the art, the sport, whatever to, to some new people and, uh, you know, have a, have a good time with it. Take some coworkers, take some friends, take whoever will, will go and, uh, you know, go, go have a good time with it. Thanks so much for listening to Tuesday evening podcast. As always, leave a question in the comments if you uh, if you want me to, to chat about something specifically, and, and I'll do my best to research it for you. So have a great evening, and I will talk to you guys later.